Thanks to our sponsor, Malloy Law Offices. They are a personal injury law firm here in the local D.C. area that helps others recover from car accidents, work injuries, slip and fall injuries, and other types of accidents. They work on what's called a contingency fee basis. So if you hire Malloy Law Offices after an accident, then you never pay anything out of pocket. They also offer educational content and free consultations for those who have more questions than answers, like us at DC by Foot. We're really excited to partner with them next month to learn all about personal liability as a tour guide in Washington, DC. Visit their website at malloy-law.com or call their offices at 202-335-6141. Malloy Law Offices is open 24-7, so don't hesitate to get the right legal help you need after a personal injury accident. Everybody, welcome to Tour Guide Tell All. We're your friendly neighborhood tour guides here to share with you the more scandalous and exciting uh, moments in American history and the history of the world. We've really broadened our scope here at uh, Tour Guide Tell All. As always, I'm Becca. I'm Rebecca. And together we are the, the Rebecca's. Rebecca's. <laughs> Um, so we are really excited to have you and we have a wonderful topic today. We actually are digging into what is our bread and butter, which is American history and really doing something we haven't done in a couple months, which is look at the very early days of the United States, as it were, really kind of look at where we were at in that sort of little moment between the revolution and before we sort of get to the United States Constitution. And so um, we're going to be talking about, I think, everybody's favorite topic, the Articles of Confederation. Are you excited, Rebecca? Yeah, I am actually very excited. I know you are. Like, we are, we are unironically excited to talk about the Articles of Confederation. I know that. Yeah, this is not, we're not, we're not making this up. This is real. So the Articles of Confederation. So here's the thing about when you're, you take American history. I don't know about you, Becca, but I did it in 11th grade and you are taught about the American revolution. And basically like it takes two weeks. Like you go through the whole reasons in the French and Indian war, and then the ramp up and the stamp act, the intolerable act, and then all the way to the constitution. And it takes like a week and a half to two weeks. And so you think that all of these events happen in a very compressed timeline, but I got to tell you from the French and Indian war until the bill of rights is like 35 years. So it's a long period of time. And we think that because people they mentioned the constitution or the declaration of independence in the constitution, that they happen like 10 minutes apart. And I got to tell you, they did not <laughs> <laughs> like at all. The declaration of independence happens and then 11 years later, the Constitution happens. And so what do we do in between? That's what the Articles of Confederation are. So basically where we are in 1776, we've declared ourselves an independent country. The Declaration of Independence has happened. Yay. It's a, it's a great document. It's got some really good language. It is, though, just kind of a declaration. It's just a statement of purpose. Right. It doesn't really set up anything or establish anything no it has no there's no rules in the declaration of independence it's basically like we are going to be separate now peace out england and so how do we have run this new country like we actually need to you know have laws 
<laughs> established trade and foreign policy and taxation and all of the things. And I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, the, when the Declaration of Independence happens, and then we still have to win this thing. So all of these questions are bubbling up with the also very real possibility that we don't win this war, or that if we do win the war, it might not necessarily be in total. It may not, we have no idea how this is going to play out. So they have to answer these questions without really knowing where things are going or how long it's going to take. Nobody's for sure how long it's going to take for this war. Right. And the war is already happening. So that's also important to mention, like when the Declaration of Independence happens, like the war's been happening for over a year. We don't think about it that way, but it really has been. And so basically when and we need like legitimacy in the eyes of the world because if people are going to give us money, hi France, hi King of France, please give us yeah. money. Um, we need, you know, legitimacy and trade and foreign relations and things like that. And so while the declaration is happening, indeed, the day after Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and their buddies formed the Committee of Five to draft the Declaration of Independence, June 12, 1776, there's a committee formed also in Philadelphia, led by John Dickinson of Pennsylvania, to form essentially some kind of a governing rule book. And so they're going to meet 13 delegates, one from each former colony current state. Uh, and they're going to meet for a while in Philadelphia to basically pull together a constitution of some kind, some kind of governing rule book. Notable names that participate in this, Sam Adams of Massachusetts, Robert Livingston, Francis Hopkinson, who will later design the American flag. So one from each state and they meet. And this is basically a big signal that we have taken firm, complete control of our governance from the British. We're on our own now. We're doing it U.S. style now. That's the takeaway. They submit a draft in about a month. Their ideas, this is what we're thinking. And that sounds good. Well, it's sort of funny to me, like a month, you know, it's pretty quick, I think, honestly. Like, I guess things go faster, too. If you've only got about 13 guys, you've only got one from each colony now striving to be a state, you're going to get more done than you're going to get in, say, the Continental Congress, where you've got more voices, more dispute, more headbutting. So I think a month is pretty impressive to get a draft, but also maybe speaks to the fact that we don't 100% know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I love one of the ways in which one of the participants in this sort of describes it as a league of friendship. They're out there just trying to say, hey, we're going to be these 13 sovereign states, but you know, we're going to be friendly about it. And so it's described as a league of friendship coming together, which is really a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I can't tell whether a month is like too long or not long enough, or if it's impressive that they got it done in a month. I feel like they were kind of under the gun. Like they all yeah, wanted yeah. to go home, you know? And so they can't stay in Philadelphia indefinitely. So we have to have a draft of some kind before we all like take a break. Well, they definitely can't stay in Philadelphia with the war encroaching upon the city. So they submit the first draft essentially on July 12th. And then it takes a little more than a year to like bang out a final draft. And they're doing this in the midst of a war. Like literally they have to evacuate Philadelphia twice because the British troops are there and it takes until November of 1777. So a little bit more than a year they're going home. Participants are coming in and out because they're like 
you can't do this over email. They don't have email back then. You have to do this in person, but they also have their own lives and their own, you know, store and farm and whatever it is to care for. And so this takes over a year to pull together all of these men and they're doing this in a war. I don't know. It seems pretty fast to me that they got this done in over in a little over a year. So they're going to send this final draft to the states for ratification on November 15, 1777. And most states ratify really quickly. Virginia's the first one, and then they all ratify in like 14 months. And again, you have to get this to the states. They have to vote on it. This is a process. So 14 months seems really quick, but 12 states ratify. And then there's one holdout, Becca. Do you know who the lone holdout was? Guys, if you take tours with me, this is a state that comes up not always in the highest esteem, particularly because I do a lot of Civil War stuff on my tours, but it's Maryland, 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 and no disrespect to the many great people who live in Maryland and uh, its wonderful new governor who is just as sworn in this week, but Maryland is the lone holdout and you cannot have a holdout on this. We're at war. We have to show that we are together, united, that we have some semblance of structure in order to get the foreign support we need for this war. So you can't have a holdout. So you can imagine that Maryland being like, oh, we have some disputes. It's going to cause some trouble. People are not going to be happy that Maryland can't just agree because everybody There were other states that had issues with the Articles of Confederation, but the states acknowledge and recognize that ratification is the most important goal, right? Get it ratified. We can argue about it later, but Maryland wants to argue first. There's also like, unlike our constitution, which is something that they learned from their mistake, the Articles of Confederation only go into effect when all 13 states ratify. So like Maryland holding out is a big deal. We can't enact things and laws and all this. And also we're fighting a war and wars cost money and we need money and it's really a mess. And so Maryland basically has all other 12 colonies essentially over a barrel and it's like, hi, let's talk about the things that I want. (laughs) And what Maryland basically holds out over is Western land claims. They want to make sure that Virginia and Pennsylvania aren't encroaching on their like Western claims to the Ohio River Valley. And I should mention, um, and if you've ever looked, as I know Rebecca has, we can drop this in the show notes at the Abel Buell map, kind of the first full map of the United States done after the revolution. Those, that was a sizable bit of land claim because essentially we, we were like, we have everything to the Mississippi River and then it's France. And so when we're talking about Western land claims, if you're thinking about what Maryland looks like today, you have to imagine that land extending all the way to the Mississippi River. So they had reason to be protective of that land because it was much more than what we consider today. We consider what Maryland is in terms of its land mass. They were hoping to claim quite a bit of land. Yes, Maryland was hoping to go all the way. Like Western part of Maryland where it gets really big was hoping to go all the way out to the Mississippi. And it didn't work out that way for non-related reasons, but Maryland finally gets what they want. After two years, oh, I know they ratify on February 2nd, 1781. So we are now five, almost five full years into post declaration of independence. We've been in this war for well over five years. And finally, we have some kind of a governing body and we have a new government with new laws and everything's going to go smoothly from here on out. Right, Becca? Yeah. So 
governing is uh it's tough there's that there's the old nugget from um hamilton right you know fighting is easy and governing is harder um this is tough and it's tough to do this while the war is still going on the war has not ended in 1781 so there's still a war happening everybody has their own interests and their own little motivators and i'm gonna just put it out there and there are certainly legal scholars much smarter than i but the articles of confederation are pretty much too weak from the get-go. They are too weak to truly unite us. They're too weak to make us any sort of really functioning government or or provide us with any sort of functioning government. Because guess what you need to fight a war, Rebecca? Money. You need money and resources, and you need to be able to tell the military what to do. And you have to have some sort of sense of like the buck stops here and the Articles of Confederation is kind of not that. It's really sort of like, hey, we're we're all together and united. We're this league of friendship. It's great. But actually, we want to decentralize the power as much as possible. And that doesn't really work super great um, in our early days. No, we basically want to be friends, but we don't trust any of our friends because they're all obviously have their own agendas. And the way that I like to talk about this, when I, particularly when I have kids, is imagine you're going to the movies with 12 of your friends. And you, Becca wants to see a comedy and I want to see a documentary and someone else wants to see a drama and an action movie. And how long do you think we're going to stand in the lobby of the movie theater debating which movie we want to see? And this is like, I mean, I know movies are high stakes for Becca, but relatively low stakes in the grand scheme of life. This is taxation and people's lives and the whole thing. And so the government like grinds to a halt because the articles deliberately have a very weak um, there's no like real enforcement mechanism. There's really no executive. Like there is a president, but it's essentially toothless. There's no uh, no executive branch at all. And so the president has no enforcement mechanism. The president isn't president for very long. There is a unicameral Congress, which also has no enforcement mechanism. So they can pass laws, but no way to enforce the laws, <laughs> which is great. And only one body. So there's only the House. There's no Senate. It takes a supermajority to pass anything, nine out of 13 states. And just like now, back then, you're not going to get people from New Hampshire and Georgia to agree on a whole lot of things. So you've got every different stripe and color of people with a bunch of competing agendas. You're not getting to nine states to do really anything. Yeah. And like in peacetime, maybe there's time to debate this, but again, we're at war. So like Congress oversees the Continental Army and the Continental Navy and and sort of our our fighting forces, but they can't compel states to bring troops or money. The Congress owes pensions already to people who fought. This has been going on for five years, but there's no way to collect money for those pensions. So imagine you're somebody like General George Washington or General Henry Knox or any of the military leaders trying to get this going. And you're going to Congress going like, my guys need food and they need weapons and we need money. And Congress is like, yeah, that's great. We've, we've asked. It's, it's not great. And we still need to win this thing to be our own country. <laughs> right. Taxation. So there's no taxation mechanism. Basically, the Congress relies on the states to voluntarily give money. Does anybody want to guess how well that works out? (laughs) Just 
not, not great. So the states never give their full amount. Some don't give any at all. And there's no way to enforce this. And so basically like the one theme of the American revolution, if you have even a glancing familiarity is Congress is always short on money. And this is why, because the states aren't contributing and Congress can't pay people. And it's just a mess. The other thing that makes the articles hard is it's impossible to amend the Articles of Confederation. It takes all 13 states unanimous consent to amend any part of this. So <laughs> I'm just shaking my head because it just doesn't work, right? It it's it's not functional. And we're we're not the only ones who think that. No, and what wait, boggles my mind is how did they think this was going to work out? Like these 13 states could barely agree on independence. And now we're going to like taxes and the whole thing. It just. And that sort of idea that we've got these 13 states, each state's going to have one vote. We're going to need a super majority to pass anything. There's equal amount of representation, no matter whether your state has five people or 5,000 people. There's really no sense of how they define very little um, definition, actually, of who a citizen is in the Articles of Confederation, which would have opened up, I think, a lot of question and debate, particularly after the war had ended. It's just not, it's not a government, right? It's not it's a, hey, we, we all agree we want to be our own country, but this really, despite its efforts, doesn't do anything to establish a way for which this country will actually work. Right. And you can see why in the very beginning of the Constitution, when they get to it, one of the first things they're interested in is domestic tranquility, because this is not domestic tranquility, friends. This is not no. good. And so basically, each state has its own foreign policy. They even have their own money. This is not a government. This is basically a bunch of people who've agreed to occupy the same space, kind of. It's not good. And so the government completely does not function. And the war ends in 1783. There's a, a treaty signed with the British. And so finally, like the war is over. We're our own country, but we're hamstrung by these Articles of Confederation. And you got to imagine, like, by 1783, this has been going on for a while. People want to go home. Washington wants to go home. Jefferson wants to go home. They all want to like chill for a while. And everybody kind of goes to their separate corners and relaxes. And then the Articles of Confederation aren't working. The reason that the Articles of Confederation, they don't last very long is because of how terrible they were. I honestly think that had the Articles been marginally better, the colonists would have just rolled with a new United States would have rolled with it for a little while longer because they really did not want to go back to the table and redo this whole thing. They just fought a war. They wanted like a little peace and some chill, you know? Yeah. And other than a handful of, I'll call them somewhat agitating voices, key among them, James Madison, saying like, this is not working. And George Washington saying this is not working. Most people, they would have been willing to let it lie, except that there is a little bit of trouble brewing. So... There are some historians that just totally discount Shays' Rebellion when we they talk about the Constitution, and I really believe that that's wrong. Like, we talked about this in our Constitution episode. I feel like Shays' Rebellion is one of the foremost things in the development of the Constitution. And we should do a whole thing about Daniel Shays and the Shays' Rebellion at some point. But basically, there's a rebellion in Western Massachusetts led by some disaffected Revolutionary War-era veterans who aren't getting their pension. 
And this scares the crap out of the founding fathers, essentially. The Congress, because they can't, they don't have the power to marshal an army, Massachusetts militia goes to put down this rebellion. So this is basically Massachusetts acting as an independent country, essentially. And that's not what we want here. And so this scares the founding fathers. It scares the powers that be to the point where they are going to decide we need to go back to Philadelphia and amend these Articles of Confederation and then basically discard them altogether. And so the Articles of Confederation are so terrible that once peace happens, they only last for like three and a half more years before everybody heads back to Philadelphia to do this all again. And you can see so much of the learning process from the Articles in the final product. For example, there is its majority rules, not a supermajority. You need only nine states to ratify the Constitution rather than all 13. There's a, an executive that has power, limited power, but power, like the president has an enforcement mechanism. There's a bunch of different things uh, that they're going to kind of learn. And so basically what the Articles of Confederation is, is like training wheels. It's like the, the good learning experience before you get to the real Constitution and the real meat of like creating a government. Yeah, in some ways, while the articles in and of themselves are not particularly successful, the experience of writing them, negotiating, illustrating to those that were really hesitant to see anything beyond a really strong sovereign individual state and seeing a unified country, it was a chance to illustrate to people why that wasn't going to work long term, why having your own money Having your own trade rules doesn't benefit anyone. The economy is stronger if they can trade as a unit, if we can negotiate trade as a unit, if we are all using the same currency, it will benefit everybody. And they had to, it had to play out, I think, for people to see it a little bit. So the learning experience is key. And I want to just touch on a moment too. There's a fair bit of overlap between the men who are signing the Declaration of Independence, the men who are signing the Constitution, and those involved in the Articles of Confederation. So you do have sort of this through line of individuals who are, you know, bringing these experiences from the Declaration to the Articles to the Constitution. And I talk a lot about Roger Sherman from Connecticut, who's sort of the only man to sign the Continental Association, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the U.S. Constitution. So Sherman's just there all the time. Just signing it all, man. Signing it all, bringing that perspective. But you do have overlap. You've got people like Robert Morris, John Dickinson, Daniel Carroll, Governor Morris, who we've talked about, who are involved in both of these documents and bring that perspective. And it's not surprising that, you know, Dickinson, Carroll, Morris, these are people who are going to be really supportive of James Madison during the constitutional process because they saw what didn't work with the articles. And certainly, if you haven't listened to our Constitution episodes, episodes? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, we split it over too. Um, Definitely do so because this feeds right into it and you understand why, despite it's not that the differences go away. It's not that they're, every state doesn't have its own agenda. It's not that there weren't people that wanted to keep us more loosely affiliated. It's just that they know it's, it doesn't work. And so Mm -hmm. it's one of the, I think, kind of beauties of the constitution and why those that are fighting so hard for the constitution to be ratified do what they do is that they really wanted this to succeed, this country to succeed. And to do so, we had to come together in a more real way. And we couldn't just be a loosely affiliated group of friendly states. We had to be a country, united country. 
Yes, correct. And so that's the Articles of Confederation, commonly referred to as a dumpster fire. <laughs> um, you know, but it's a good learning experience, as they say, uh, and leads directly to the Constitution. So yeah, that's what we want to talk about. And as always, patrons, you're the best. Thank you for being patrons and being the best. And if there's stuff you want to hear about, definitely let us know. We want these episodes to be for you. So if you want to hear more about any of the things that we've talked about, let us know and we'll like make that happen for you. That's right. Send us your ideas, what you want us to dig in on, what you want to talk about. I'll mention too, of course, if you're local and you haven't paid a visit to the National Archives in a long time, or you've gone to the archives and only looked at the big three, um, there is some good content on the Articles of Confederation in the rotunda, in the sort of main exhibit. And it's certainly worth coming and checking out if you haven't, or if you're thinking about your summer DC travels or bringing your kids into town, don't neglect the articles. They are represented there in the archives as well. Um, so I just want to shout that out especially for our local patrons but come see us come join us on a tour uh, and thank you as always for for being there for the pod yes thank you guys have a lovely rest of your day we'll see you next episode Bye.